0: to my second self and I, we are your hosts, I'm Matt, and the other voice you'll hear from time to time is Alex. Good evening, welcome back. I really only have a couple things I want to touch on before the story today. Those things are, thanking you for turning this episode on or any of the other crazy things I've talked about, and the other would be asking you politely to leave me a review on whichever thing you're listening on, specifically iTunes. Oh, also, uh, Spotify has a thing you can do to leave feedback now, so help me out, huh? Eh? Eh? All right. Also, planning on doing more episodes. Much of my free time will be spent reorganizing my schedule once again so I can make this show more fun. I want to get back into a weekly upload schedule eventually, also with some bonus content. I have a few ideas for extra little things that I might just randomly upload from time to time, so keep an ear out for new stuff. I have a lot to work with in here, and we think you all would enjoy it. Yes, that is correct. This is indeed for all you guys out there. All you kings, queens, and in-betweens need more laughter! and I have the means to provide that, so here we are. For now, though, let's just get going with this nonsense today. I came across an article about famous last words from death row inmates, and the man we're going to be talking about today had a few things to say that stood out just a little bit more from the others, oh, yeah, and he also did some wild shit to end up on death row in the first place. And we get to go all the way back to my home state today in Oklahoma just for a little while though, just a very brief period. We'll be bouncing around in Tampa and then in New York for a little while as well. Specifically, West Babylon, which is on Long Island. Back in 1962, a man by the name of Thomas Joseph Grasso was born to a young couple named Joseph and Ruth Grasso. Under sort of unusual circumstances, the birth itself went fine, but the family decided to name the child after his older brother, Joseph Thomas Grasso, who died at the age of 4 after being backed over by one of his neighbors. This tragic event happened shortly before Thomas was born, leaving him with a lifelong painful memory tied to his own name, which is known as a necronym, which is also a fucking great band name. Alex! yep, writing it down. We'll check and see if it's available later. That's gotta be a strange conversation to have with your parents too. Where did I get my name? After your dead brother. Well, why did you switch the first and middle names around then? Couldn't you have just named me Joseph, too? Because the gypsy woman said that if I named you Joseph, you would die, so I tricked her. But... one of my names is still Joseph. Did she specify first name only? Look, all I know is I named you Thomas in memory of your brother and not Joseph because I didn't want you to die. I was thinking of you when I did it. What do you want from me? Sadly, there wasn't a ton I could find regarding his upbringing or many details besides the fucked up things he liked to do. But that gypsy thing is absolutely true. I know it sounds like more of my made-up bullshittery, but that one's actually true. She legit saw a psychic about what to name her baby, and the lady specifically told her, Do not name it Joseph, because it will die if you do. Probably cost her a fortune, too. Nah, just a favor to be collected at some point in the future. And it seems the psychic left out a few details about young Grasso. Little Thomas would grow up to be quite the asshole, too. And that... My friends, is a verifiable fact in a newspaper article that I found. In fact, do you wanna know you wanna know who said that? Ruth. Fucking Ruth said that, his own mother. Do you know how much of an asshole you have to be to get your Italian mother to call you an irredeemable asshole in the newspaper? Ooh, what kind of asshole things did he do? Serial killer type asshole behavior. Check this out, I'm so glad I found this article. One thing he used to do with his free time was raising a, quote, pack of rats, and that his favorite pets was a tarantula that he never bothered to name, and you can't forget about terrorizing the neighborhood cats with a BB gun. That rat detail is going to bother me, though. I, I want to know how many fucking rats this Willard kid had under his control. By the way, if you haven't seen that movie, or just haven't seen it in a while, re-watch it. It is one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen. It's about a guy that can somehow control rats and uses them to murder people. It's amazing. Grasso was also not a bright child either, as at one point while experimenting with a twenty-two rifle in the garage with his dad, he accidentally shot himself. Doesn't say where, maybe foot, leg. And I don't know if it was a factor in the family's next decision, but not long after that, the Grasso's packed up their home in Long Island and relocated down to Tampa. Now I don't know much about Tampa, never been, and I gave Florida a pass on the last episode but I've heard that there's just a ton of chickens running around down there so I looked into it I wanted to find out what's going on with it and apparently in Ybor City, Y-B-O-R that might be Ybor City, Ybor City, the chickens are just allowed to do whatever they want because they are the descendants of chickens that people that lived there a hundred years ago or so had. So that's a thing that we all know now. I don't know personally if I'm any better of a person for knowing that now, but you know, we're all different. Maybe it means more to you that you know that now. You could, in theory, move to this city and see chickens every single day if you wanted to. But I can kind of do that too, because I live in a place with internet access and I have a pair of socks with chickens on them. Oh yeah, and probably the biggest factor in daily chicken sighting is that I live in a small Texas town, so there's any number of places I could encounter random chickens. You know what, in fact, I have one in my freezer right now. Well, part of one. This might come as a shock to a few of you, but the Grassos didn't move to Tampa just to be closer to wild fowl. Thomas was especially disinterested in his new chicken overlords. He was more interested in piling up a rap sheet with um, selling lots and lots of weed, burglary, Possession of barbiturates, aggravated battery, and armed robbery. Many of which might have been against chickens. I don't think we can put it past this guy. He didn't really get into any serious trouble while he was here, though. He stole from a couple employers, but mainly his targets were those that were too weak and feeble to fend for themselves. Not only is Grasso an asshole, he's also a weak little bitch-ass baby for targeting old people. Fucking coward. I would have much rather seen him, instead of controlling rats like in Willard, controlling all the chickens to do his bidding. Mm, Yes, by the cover of darkness, my feathery army will bring nothing but ruin to the god-fearing citizens of Tampa. Clyde, go forth and round up the other members of the Coop of Devastation. Tell them to meet tonight under the old grain silo. On the night of the next full moon, I promise the entire lot of you all the corn and worms and bugs you can possibly hope to eat in an entire chicken lifetime. All you have to do is figure out a way to steal me a brand new Ferrari. What? What did he say over there? Uh Uh-huh. Too heavy. Okay, fine. All you have to do is bring me a brand new golf cart. I'll settle for a golf cart, I suppose. It is Florida, after all. What? Now what's the problem? Oh, fine. We'll just go back to drinking under the moonlight and reminiscing about crimes past. But don't go expecting me to pay for your speeding ticket, Larry. Because I've already explained to you that in this part of the city, there's a special ordinance that also applies to semi-flightless birds. Slow down, Larry. You'll get there. Fine, I suppose I don't want to wake up one day, pecked to death by millions of chickens, but this is the last time, Larry. By the way, don't do that if you go here. I'm under the impression they take chicken-related offenses pretty seriously down there, although that would be a funny story about getting arrested. Alex, why did you get arrested in Tampa? I robbed a mini-mart with blade-foot chickens! After getting his fill of police involvement in Tampa in 1990, Thomas decided to pack up and move out west to the great state of Oklahoma where the hens come swooping down the plains. Now he'll have to scoop the chicken coops to earn a bet out of the rain. He actually just moved with his girlfriend, Lana, into her grandma's house somewhere in Tulsa. And it's right around here that i'm beginning to wonder if maybe his name kind of messed with him a little bit maybe having been named after his brother who died under unusual and very tragic circumstances gave him some kind of complex i'm very clearly not a psychologist but as fascinated as i am by human behavior and its various triggers i can't help but wonder if it stems from his own name but how about instead of just wondering about it i present you with some data I found a few really interesting articles about the psychology of personal and proper names that I will, of course, leave a link to in the show notes if you want to read it. There's a few really good quotes that I found that seemed to support my theory on his name being a contributing factor to his behavior. One says, Proper names affect how people treat us and how we feel about ourselves. This fact was confirmed by research in 2000, finding that people who disliked their name tended to have a poorer psychological adjustment due to a lack of confidence and self-esteem. And this wasn't exactly a new practice. We saw this quite commonly during the Great Depression. Generational names are quite common as well. Being named after a grandparent is often seen as an honorable thing. But when a child's named after a sibling that passed away before the child was born, that tends to come with a little bit of extra baggage as supported by the following, quote, Nowadays, parents can perform their role with expectations and hopes nurtured by the certainty that their children will survive them and have a better life. As such, the death of young children has the potential to destroy not only parental relationships, but also the entire representational dimension that supports the family project. This experience often causes post-traumatic symptoms and psychological, psychosomatic, and psychosocial problems, including traits of complicated grief that persist for years. In cases of perinatal and neonatal grief, the bestowal of a necronym may be an attempt to elaborate the mourning process, sealing in the new child a special and ongoing relationship with the deceased despite having never met them. Now that we have a little bit of data to point to in regards to potential factors in his upbringing, we can talk about the rest of this crazy ass story and make it make sense as we go. So we're in Tulsa in 1990, one year after I was born. Thomas Grasso and Lana arrived earlier in the year, but we're going to do a little anime style time skip and go straight to Christmas Eve where we'll catch up with Grasso to see how his training is coming along. If you don't know a lot about Tulsa, parts of it can be kind of rough. There's a lot of drug and gang activity and all sorts of criminal operations going down at pretty much any given time. That's why they pretty much stayed on Live PD. But he wasn't really interested in gang activity so much as just petty fringe stuff and general scumbaggery. The reason I think that is mainly because of what he did next. Doesn't really sound like the kind of things gangs normally get in trouble for. It sounds more like what a fucking crackhead would do. Christmas Eve, 1990. I don't remember what little one-year-old me got for Christmas that year, probably clothes, but Grasso decided to get himself a little present for being so good this year. You see? Oh, you see. Oh, Oklahoma's got no shortage of these guys. Grasso! Grasso liked to smoke a lot of crack cocaine. And the thing about crack cocaine that non-crack cocaine users don't know, that crack cocaine users do know is that the longer you stay out of jail for using crack cocaine, the better it is for you to be able to continue to do crack cocaine. Am I making sense? Uh... Grasso seems to think so, which is why he took notice of a particular 87-year-old woman named Hilda Johnson that day. She must have piqued his interest in some way or another because after the sun went down, he knocked on her door and broke into her home when she answered it. While inside of the home, he managed to steal $8 from her purse, $4.00 in loose change, and her TV that he later sold for $125.00. Pretty cracky behavior, right? On Christmas Eve? Come on, man. Oh, he isn't done inside the house. He was going to leave peacefully, but then he thought, you know what? She might actually recognize me. Maybe I should just eliminate the witness, but I didn't actually plan on murdering anyone. What should I use? Oh no, I don't like the way you said that. I don't either, and I'm the one that said it. Grasso took it upon himself to one-up the Grinch in the worst way possible. Instead of just stealing her string of Christmas lights, he disconnected them, I hope, and strangles poor Hilda all the way to death with them on Christmas Eve. In her own home. For fucking crack money. What the shit, man? This is supposed to be a happy day. He also bashed her skull in with a piece of wood and an iron before the strangling. I really wish he would have just stayed in Tampa and stuck to that chicken shit I made up earlier. At least they have no concept of Christmas or crack money. So now he's a murderer as well as a crackhead. And he's following a pretty clear path towards serial killerhood. Not a wonderful combination to have present in a single person. I can't imagine $137 worth of 1990s Tulsa crack would take a person very far, but not too long after the murder, Grasso finds himself living in a rundown apartment building on Staten Island. How did he get there? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have no idea. I also don't know when exactly he got there. What I do know is that this show is mainly for, let's say, entertainment purposes, and speculation can be fun. So let's do that. How'd Grasso get to Staten Island? Maybe he hitched a ride. Maybe he tricked Lana into driving him. Did she go with him? I think she went with him. Did he get a plane ticket, maybe? I don't think so. I don't think crackheads usually fly to many places. Too much security would probably make a tweaker pretty paranoid. Here's an idea. Remember the chickens in Zelda? If you don't know, in pretty much all the Zelda games, if you attack the chickens long enough, the screens fill up with angry cuckoos and you have to enter a building to reload the area to escape. Who else wants to support the theory that maybe this man is a chicken whisperer and use secret chicken technology and crackhead ingenuity to build a machine capable of traveling long distances. It's possible, I suppose, but by himself, it seems pretty unlikely. You know what? The only mechanical thing most of the crackheads around here know how to do is change a bike tire, but I think I know somebody who might be able to help him out with that. Are you still sitting around waiting for someone to come to your rescue? Are you still on the fence about who to call to come help you fix your shit? Are you in need of assistance building a new type of flying machine but don't possess the necessary mechanical knowledge to do so? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to call... Night Mechanic. Just listen to these real-life testimonials from real people, not paid actors that needed help just like you. Night Mechanic got me out of a tight bind. He helped me change a tire in the middle of the night in a bad neighborhood. He helped me for being assaulted. Luckily, I knew how to flash the universal Night Mechanic signal. Thanks, Night Mechanic! Not only does Night Mechanic have extraordinary mechanical skills, he's also well trained in most forms of martial arts, including, but not limited to, karate, judo, crowd maga, jiu jitsu, boxing, wrestling, long distance running, sprinting, and so many other skills. Just recently, Night Mechanic has expanded his repertoire to include aviation mechanics as well. He learned these skills from his time spent in Key West in only two weeks and has already garnered the respect of many high-level foreign diplomats for the impeccable work he did on their private jets. What are you waiting for? Call Night Mechanic now! No, Night Mechanic is not responsible for any any razor devastating financial losses while under cooperation with the Night Mechanic. Whether with the help of our favorite nocturnal superhero or not, Thomas Grasso soon finds himself in a rundown apartment building on Staten Island. What's going on in Staten Island? Lots of shit. I don't know a lot of details about Staten Island in the 90s, because I've never been there. But apparently in 91, there was a fucking crazy altercation that ended up with somebody dead that we're going to talk about in the next anthology episode. But for now, let's just continue with this guy's craziness. Barely six months after his first murder, Grasso's living in a shitty apartment building and still jonesing for more crack. Across the hallway from him were some older gentlemen, 81-year-old Leslie Holtz and his brother Raymond Holtz. Now I'm picturing Captain Holt on Brooklyn 99 for the rest of this. July 3rd, 1991, just one day prior to America's birthday. Happy birthday, America! America. Grasso needs some more crack, so he goes across the hall to ask Leslie for some money to go buy more crack. I don't know if Leslie was a fellow user or not, but later that same day, Grasso is creepily spying on Mr. Holtz through the peephole door in his unit and observes him attempting to re-enter his apartment. As Mr. Holtz is opening the door to his home, Grasso appears from behind, shoves him inside the apartment, and strangles him all the way to death and then robbed him just like he did with Hilda in Tulsa six months ago. Why do we always seem to run into horrible shit happening in July on this show? I seriously might just do a whole thing on July murders. But he's arrested about two weeks after the Leslie murder and you'd think that would be the end of it. No, far from it. He's now a multiple murderer with victims in two different states with very different attitudes regarding capital punishment. The next series of events is basically just a gigantic circle jerk between Oklahoma and New York. They're trying to determine which state has more right to his conviction. Both states wanted to impose the maximum sentence allowable. New York didn't have the death penalty and wanted to keep him in jail for about 20 years or so. And then after standing trial in Oklahoma for the murder of Hilda, no surprise here, they wanted to kill the fuck out of Grosso. In 1992, Thomas Grosso made an official statement claiming that he wanted to die. I guess he got tired of waiting for somebody to make a decision and had a you-know-what moment of his own. Oklahoma said, "All right then, I reckon I better send a letter on down to New York. New York was not excited about receiving this letter and said, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, now, we're a little bit more important up here so we're gonna ask that you not do that. And New York definitely had some pull in that area too because a judge ruled that New York had the first claim to Grasso but that New York also had the right to waive that claim if they so choose. Obviously, Cuomo isn't going to go for that. He has a reputation to uphold. We would never have used the power of the executive branch to overrule the judge. And 12 hours before Oklahoma was set to kill Grasso, complete with his last meal that was never served, he was saved by bureaucracy, words that have never been said before or probably ever again. This sort of backfired in a really funny way, too. As soon as he got there, Grasso began ridiculing Cuomo in jailhouse interviews that he had. Hey, how many heads you got up there, five? After a long legal tug-of-war, it's eventually decided that if New York should ever overturn the conviction, Grasso will be relocated to Oklahoma where he will be put to death. Hooray! I seen you eating that pickle. Part of the problem is that both states are worried about setting a bad legal precedent if they release Grasso into the custody of the other state. New York has issues with overruling a federal judge, and Oklahoma has a similar relationship with their extradition laws and interstate compacts. Why you got a duck face in so many pictures, you trying to kiss on me? And not for nothing, but to house him in New York would have cost the state about half a million dollars, but Coughlin, Cuomo's Commissioner of Correctional Services, said the cost was irrelevant, so take that for what it's worth. Oh hell no, I seen you hanging out with all them Jews- Alex! Grosso is from New York too. Why are you making him sound like a hillbilly? no comment whatever so that was in april of 92 and old grasso would spend the next three years i think in attica and of course as with any death penalty there are tons and tons of appeals most of which is just the two states going back and forth about who gets to do what with him but there is a quote from grasso about what he did in tulsa and you know what alex Fucking just go ahead with this one you can do it all right after I had entered the house, it dawned on me that if I f it dawned on me that if I left her alive I would be identified by police and by her, and I would be arrested. So we had we we had struggled a little bit and I pulled the extension cord off the Christmas tree and wrapped it around her neck and choked her. How was that? That quote only helped to secure the aggravator for a death penalty conviction. Could also be why he said it that way too, I suppose. It wouldn't be until 1995, and with the help of Pataki's gubernatorial campaign, that Grasso finally gets his wish. He is intercepted at the Buffalo International Airport and taken back to good Old McAllister on January 11, 1995. So here's the thing about McAllister that I just learned today. I knew it was where the state pen is, but I didn't know it was also home to a behind-the-walls prison rodeo where inmates would participate in events. The last time was in 2009, and there was an event where inmates had to try to remove a string from a pissed-off bull. Where was the string? Tied to the bull's scrotum. No, not really. It was tied to its horns. But still, all you gotta do is get that string. Don't matter how you don't get it, but if you do, you get $100. $100 in reward for getting a string off a bull's horns while in prison? I don't... what... What are you going to do with that money? Like is that just commissary funds or what is, where does that go to? I don't I don't get that one. I get why are, prizes for prison inmates and in rodeos. I mean, yeah, I guess you have to have prizes, but what are they going to do with that money? They can't really do anything with it. That's weird. I swear to god, Oklahoma will find any reason to turn something into a fucking rodeo. There's hundreds of separate rodeos across the state literally any time of year. And don't take my tone as Like, I don't enjoy them. I'd probably, like, I just don't go to them normally. But from January to December, there's somewhere you can go in the entire state to find barrel racing or team roping or whatever the shit. Like, Ponca City, Claremore, Winoka, Henrietta, Sallisaw, Hinton, Owasso. So many rodeos going on all over the place. It's the rodeo capital of the entire whole world. Now, we all know that rodeos usually involve bulls and horses and sheep and other livestock but I can't recall any kind of rodeo event that I've ever heard of that involves chickens! And here we are once again at the 35th semi-annual Noah Holds Barred Chicken Beauty Contest slash talent show slash rodeo, and we've got one hell of an itinerary of events scheduled for today. I'd like to take a few moments before we lay out the event schedule to thank our security sponsors for this rodeo, Night Mechanic, Addle, some bitch, promised to make sure we's all safe in the parking lot tonight when we's a leaving, so make sure if you see him just to wave him a friendly hello and thank you. Oh, don't worry now, you'll know him when you see him, so just keep on keeping on. First thing we can all expect to see today is the 35th annual Bobbin' for Chickens event. That's Bobbing with an apostrophe. Now, this is a long held tradition of chicken owners getting all the hog tied and trying to pick up the oldest bitty with their teeth. Last year old Earl just barely won by the skin of his teeth, but he did lose his dentures in the process, so we'll see what kind of competition he brings to the table this year. Next up, immediately following Bobbin' for chickens, is a chicken staring contest. The rules of this event are very, very simple. All you gotta do is beat a person that can hold eye contact with their chicken for the longest amount of time. This may seem simple now, but last year somebody damn near lost an eye staring down the wrong end of a pissed off rooster. we will try our best up here, but hell, ain't nobody perfect. After the staring contest, we got us a crowd favorite, y'all! Woohoo! hoo Yeehaw! It's a tandem event. First, owners and chickens will pair off and engage in friendly chicken tug-of-war performed by the chickens, and upon completion of the tug-of-war, the owners must face off against the other chicken and play a riveting game of chicken tic-tac-toe. I don't think I need to remind you all of the bloodshed at last year's chicken tic-tac-toe. Just kindly remove the razor blades from your chicken's talons before entering into this event. And finally, to end out the day, we have a lovely display of colorful plumage and feathers. It's a chicken beauty contest, y'all. Birds from all corners of the state have flocked here to beautiful scenic Atoka. And let me tell you what, it is a sight to see all them gorgeous hens and roosters up there just a strutting they stuff. All right, I think we can go ahead and get on with it now. Chicken Rodeo, woo! I think the only way I would be willing to attend to Chicken Rodeo is if Night Mechanic was there. Otherwise, I just wouldn't trust it. Fictitious chicken rodeos are the least of Oklahoma's problems, though. There have been at least four well-known prison riots in the state over the last 40 years or so. 1983 in Hominy at the Dick Connor Correctional Facility, 1988 in Stringtown at Mac MacAlford, and two separate riots in McAllister in 1973 and 1985. Maybe they should have more chicken rodeos to keep the inmates happier. Maybe they'll riot less with more chickens. Let's get back up to speed, though, with a quick recap. I haven't done one of these in a while. Grosso's brother Joseph dies. Mom consults Psychic Gypsy Woman about what to name New Baby. Psychic says not Joseph, named him Thomas Joseph instead. He befriends a bunch of rats, gets a pet spider, ignores it, torments a bunch of cats with a BB gun, shoots himself in the somewhere, moves to Tampa, sells weed, robs old people, tries to control the chickens, maybe, fails horribly, moves to Oklahoma, develops a crack habit, rob another old person, murder her, pawn her stuff for crack money, flee to New York, Repeat past actions with new old person, finally get arrested, participate in another chicken rodeo, finally a proof death sentence, here we are. Do you remember in the beginning today why I wanted to talk about this guy in the first place? That's been his entire life up to this point, most of it's at least as ridiculous as the shit I make up. But it's really how this man decided to end it all that really slaps a nice bow on things. His execution date is set for March 20th, 1995. This next bit takes place the day before on March 19th, exactly 28 years ago today. Grasso has a few things to say in the form of prison death row poetry. Four separate statements that he went out of his way to make sound as flowery as possible. First statement. What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. I already have no fucking idea what he's talking about. That statement was at 3 p.m., The next one comes several hours later at 8.25 p.m., and it says, For most of us there is only the unintended moment, the moment in and out of time. And right action is freedom from the past and future also. That first part, that is from T.S. Eliot, which I'm amazed he read. Next statement! Comes just before 10 p.m., and is an actual poem he wrote, entitled, A Visit With Mystery. Ready, willing, and waiting am I. Ask for death but could not die. Each sunrise is one day less, I'll endure this horrible mess. When the last sun does sink, Mr. E will serve a goodbye drink. On the day our paths do cross, it won't take much to see it through, just a little toxic brew. The warden will read my last creed, and the deadly brew will flow. As the poison drips into my veins, and from my body life does drain, I'll know then once and for all what last call means when serving Toxahol. There is very little mystery in those words, sir. I know exactly what's about to happen. I think a better visit with Mystery would be going back to that psychic fortune teller lady from earlier and demanding that she make a collect call to the afterlife so he can talk to his brother. Big Joey, are you there? It's me, Tommy. I'm called to ask for your guidance. Yeah. What do you want? I'm busy. My dearest brother, it's so good to see you. How's everything in the afterlife? Is it better than your first life? What the, the fuck, fuck are you, you talking about? I died when I was fucking four. four. Remember, Remember next door, Angela? Crazy, Crazy broad-backed broad. over me with a Cadillac. Now look at me. I'm fucking see-through over here. Look, look why, why are calling you calling me anyway? Wait, wait, wait. Well, look, I got into a little bit of trouble. See, Ma named me after you, except for uh, she switched the first and middle names around on account of this crazy fortune teller lady told her not to call me Joseph too, or I would die. Anyway, that's beside the point. Some things happened over here, and a couple other things happened over there, and now I'm about to die in a couple hours, so I wanted to ask you if there's anything over there to look forward to. What is there to look forward to. You poor dumb bastard, I'm dead. Ain't nothing to look forward to over here. Look, look all, all we, we got, got is clouds and, and cameras. cameras. I mean, I mean, a couple, a couple of Mormons snuck in the way in too, but we don't really talk to them much. much. So it is really nothing about being dead that I can expect to be enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, I suppose there is one thing. Check, Check this out. This I can do this whenever, whenever I want. Ah, come on, Joey. Don't be like that. Joey, come on. Ah, oh, whatever. I'll catch up with him in a couple hours and really give him a piece of my mind. And now for the moment we've all been waiting for, we get to talk about his last meal. I always love when I get to do these. What did he eat? His last meal consisted of two dozen steamed mussels, two dozen steamed clams, a double cheeseburger from Burger King, a half dozen barbecue spare ribs, two strawberry milkshakes, a half of a pumpkin pie with whipped cream and diced strawberries, and to top it all off, a can of SpaghettiOs, the kind with meatballs in it. A lot of solid choices in there. Not bad for a last meal. I don't think I would include SpaghettiOs in mine, but I guess why not? It is now just before 1 a.m. on March 20th, 1995. Grasso is led from his cell to the execution chamber. In a separate room, there are over a dozen witnesses, including lawyers and reporters. Ron Ward dials Governor Keating and is granted approval to move forward, and as the drugs enter Grasso's veins, he is pronounced dead at 1.22 a.m. Now I know what you're thinking. Matt! Dude, Matt! You said, you said he had four statements to give. That was only three that you gave. You're right. I did say that, and he did make four statements. The last one are effectively his last words, and it's a complaint. After getting served his elaborate last meal, his final statement to the press was, quote, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. After all that, those are basically his last words. He could have said literally anything else, and it would have been better. I didn't get my SpaghettiOs, I got spaghetti. What an insane last thing to say. So he's dead, and that's going to wrap things up for today. I hope everybody liked that story, or at least how I told it. I was really hoping I could stretch this episode out just a little bit longer, but there just isn't enough detail available to me to be able to expand on this one anymore. Next episode I put out, though, probably in another two weeks, it's either going to be in Wisconsin or Australia. Very different places. I haven't yet decided which one I want to do yet. They're both equally insane, and both places have tons of potential for entertainment. Before we leave today, I want to take another few seconds to remind you all that reviews actually do help, and if you can, give me some feedback on either iTunes or Spotify. It not only will motivate me to continue to do these, but it will also give me more ideas for better content so we don't just end up with chicken rodeos every episode. So if you have that option available to you, please do that for us. I'll also leave a link to the PayPal I have set up for this show if anybody happens to feel like showing us some extra love And with that and much more love, we're out of here. Until next time, everybody, stay stay kind. kind.